Good morning. This is Cultivating Classroom Management. And I haven't done any podcasts for a while because I have been taking an advanced training workshop with Kay Pranis, a very renowned restorative justice practitioner and leader, author, and one of the originators of restorative justice in the United States. So I've been really looking at my own professional development. And what I'd like to do is share some thoughts with you about circle building and circle keeping. And I will be presenting a workshop at in New York City at CUNY on restorative circles. So. I hope to share some of the ideas that I'll be presenting in my workshop. There's much more to it, but I will give you the background. So in this workshop, participants will explore the use of restorative circles to build capacity within a school community, nonprofit organizations, or their workplace. Why restorative circles? The roots of disharmony, fear, and conflict come from misunderstandings, misperceptions, self-doubts, and inadequacy in a school setting that breaks down to students acting out or not getting along with one another. In the workshop, we'll explore actionable ways to build community circles and to formulate opportunities for relationship building, self-empowerment, and increased self-expression and for students to discuss deeper issues and have critical conversations. This is a basic workshop, so some of the ideas that I present will be very, very basic. So what's in the basic ideas behind circle building and circle keeping? I've said in former podcasts that restorative circles are primarily used to build community break down walls between groups, build relationships, and to encourage equal participation in classroom settings. Circles can be used in staff meetings and organizations, and they can be used for extensive practices, such as I learned about in my own advanced workshop. I'll focus more on schools. In the workshop, Participants will be introduced to circle rituals and understand how to build a circle practice. Those who are experienced with circle keeping will examine their own practices. It's always good to go back to the basics, I find, and to go over your own practices. And they'll be able to understand how to become a better facilitator and to look at a more advanced circle practice. So what are circle practices? In the classroom, circle practices are new and exciting possibility. To the outside world, they may seem like mystical practices left best to new age groups or counselors. The myth that restorative circles are not for the classroom must be debunked. The question that most teachers ask is, what is restorative justice? How can restorative justice help my school culture? And how do I engage students in a meaningful practice? 
What is the difference in all of these terms? And what is the difference between restorative practice and restorative justice? What are circle practices and how can they be used in the classroom? Certainly within the scope of restorative justice, circle practices are one of the most important and compelling subjects. There are dozens of uses of restorative circles. Indeed, the discipline of restorative justice is a new discipline used in schools that has many crossovers from the courts, the inner workings of social work agencies, across educational settings, and in the workplace. There are limitless implementations of this discipline and terms that are defined by practitioners in different ways, which sometimes makes it confusing to outsiders. There are nuances of these rituals, practices, and routines that are not easily defined. This makes for conflict even within the field of education and in counseling. Those with a desire for an easy fix or a magical answer for school discipline will be easily frustrated and quite uncomfortable with this touchy-feely work. They'll want to shy away from what is known as restorative justice or restorative practices. They may easily swallow related disciplines such as conflict mediation or conflict resolution done through an office in a more defined sense. Uh, or through a community-based organization. Many teachers, parents, community members, researchers, and journalists desperately want to solve discipline problems in schools as well as they should, but they just don't know how to do it with restorative justice. And, of course, the field needs a little more time to develop its research and to find ways to make this practice more palatable, more practical, and more useful, and more connected to school discipline. However, there are some things I know for sure. What do I know for sure? Restorative justice has roots in indigenous cultures and has been used as a natural way for members of a group or society to work out or work through problems using respective Practices such as listening to one another, letting one person speak at a time, hearing all sides of the story, and coming to group consensus. Coming up with ways that are more fair for the entire group and based on equitable practices. In other words, these practices are not punitive, but they're looking toward more community-based solutions. Restorative justice took off in the justice system in the 1990s, but it was around way longer than that. It was around, as I mentioned before, in indigenous cultures and in countries such as Canada, where groups of community members practice what is called circle sentencing, which means that a, an organized group of people got together as a community to decide in a very uh, structured way how best to come up with a solution for somebody who had committed harm to the community. So that's how restorative justice began, as ways to 
undue harm, to make sure that all sides are heard, and to come up with solutions that are not only best for the victim and the um, person who uh, committed the harm, uh, but to come up with solutions that are best for the community. So that's restorative justice in a nutshell, and it was used in indigenous cultures, but it later was picked up in police precincts, the courts, the juvenile justice system, and then it spread out even further to be used in uh, social work settings such as for domestic violence or for child custody cases, uh, in disputes, resolution disputes, and in coming up with community solutions for uh, situations that couldn't be solved easily. For example, where to put a new building or um, some community uh, problem that all members had to solve. Restorative practices were, the term was coined, pertaining more to practices that are expansive in the classroom or again in social work agencies. So the practice is a practice that is a little more expansive and it, it, it it also includes community-based, uh, community building, um, celebration circles, healing circles, sometimes academic um, circles such as literature circles. So restorative practices are more expansive. Impromptu conversations, restorative conversations, uh, all fall under the heading of restorative practices. What are circle practices? Circle practices are based on the ancient ritual of circle keeping. And circle practices do have a rhythm and do have uh, a sense that the group empowers itself and that all members are equal in the circle. Of course, the balance of power has to be worked through and there's always a keeper or a circle keeper, a facilitator, if you will, who leads in a certain respect. They're equal to the other circle keepers, but sometimes they have to um, guide the circle, prepare for the circle, and make key decisions in the circle. How are these practices used in the classroom? Again, since this is a very, very new practice, Restorative circles started to be used in the classroom in different pockets, in different countries, in different parts of communities. And the idea is to use these restorative circles not just to build community, but to pre prevent disciplinary problems. Now, that may seem very... Um, much like it's counter to the current disciplinary practices that were popular in the 1990s. But I think that teachers started to look for answers and principals definitely started to look for answers about how to reduce school suspensions. And some of the ways that they came up with reducing school suspensions are to have students solve their own problems and conflicts in restorative circles. That's a little more of an advanced problem, but to build community and change the culture of the classroom. 
again, there's no desire for, uh, there's a desire for an easy fix, but there's no magic pixie dust to um, whisk away d uh, discipline problems. I believe that school culture has to change and shift, and that's not an easy thing to do. It, it's a community problem, it's a whole school problem, so restorative justice is best done at the school level. Now, in some cases, uh, it's simply not done at the school level. So a teacher who wants to be a rugged individualist can take on restorative circles, but it works best at the school level. When educators start to see school de schools decline, they feel mighty bad about it. Some educators do turn to the methods and approaches that they think of as having been effective as when they went to school. They might daydream, fantasize, or feel sentimental as they recount the good old days when kids knew what the rules were and were afraid of their teachers. Those golden memories of being a member of a strict class conjure up images of the little old lady teacher wearing a bun, swinging a pointer, and sending the, quote, bad kids off to the principal. Those who are steeped in the, these memories also remember the big old dean or the assistant principal who looks like a bouncer. If the principal wasn't a disciplinarian, he, he or she certainly had a deputy to stand in their place. Discipline usually was fraught with a bullhorn or at least a booming voice accompanied by a red face and pink slips to send students to detention. Those students who caused a disruption were frequently removed from class or they were sent to detention. Suspension was something to fear back in the old days, but it wasn't as scary as going home and hearing from your parents. Now schools have changed radically since most of us were young. The days of sitting and chewing on your pencil and waiting for instructions from the teacher are a faint memory. Some of us are no longer cramped into those tiny desks or prohibited from drinking our morning coffee. We have to think about discipline from multiple perspectives since schools do not look like they did when we were going to them. While all of the aforementioned constituents all want a safe, orderly, and positive community, they really want to go about it in the way that works with the current practices that are in place. We can no longer keep suspending students and feel that this is equitable, just, fair, or even manageable. While many of the critics of restorative justice and restorative practices get to swing their proverbial bats through writing an article or a popular newspaper uh, editorial every few months, there are still those curious enough who want to know about it. Circle practices emanate from ancient ritualistic practices and have the potential for a multifaceted approach to building and restoring storing relationships within communities. At the center of all circle practices, an intention must be made. The first step in creating a circle practice is to unfurl the limitless possibility of circles. Often the purpose of circle shifts as participants unfold their thoughts, emotions, and need to communicate. Every age 
group and population must have a different approach. One of the books that I highly recommend is by Carolyn Boys Watson, and it's called Circle Forward. It is obtained through uh, Living Justice Press. It's a manual that shows you how to run a circle. And I would recommend reading this book because it concretizes how to run a circle. So some of the practical things I will add about running circles are the following. And I'm going to open my PowerPoint from the presentation. We must learn to live together. We're going to live together anyway. So we might as well learn better ways to get along and communicate. And I quote Kay Pranis from her workshop in 2020. And I further state that when students are brought together to look one another in the eye, to communicate and to develop common values, there's a better chance to get along with one another. Rethinking relationships and community. There is a sense that we cannot keep on doing what we're doing in terms of student discipline. There are students who need the most loving care, and those are the ones who tend to be most widely understood. Misunderstood. Students of color, students with disabilities, students from indigenous cultures, students from LGBT and transgender groups have been known to typically receive harsher sanctions such as excessive removals, school suspensions, and unsupported timeouts. Unsupported timeouts are not timeouts that are noted on a student's IEP. There are some states that allow students with IEPs to have timeouts as part of their support plan. Unsupported timeouts are removals. Circle practices and restorative methods build accountability for behavior, which in turn benefits all students. These are inclusive practices. Restorative justice, restorative practices, and conflict mediation are approaches that build community, restore relationships, and repair harm. Culture counts. Problems in schools are rarely isolated incidents. To date, most discipline problems emanate from cultural issues. When there are conflicts or when adults in school have conflicts with students, there are problems that cause further acting out. It is not that schools or people in them set out to create a culture of negativity, fear, racism, or indecency. This happens in insidious ways. It is not hard to imagine what a negative culture looks like or how it affects the students, but positive culture is built. Programs that emanate from top down are rarely successful. Teacher buy-in for restorative circles is essential. As stated before, it is best to initiate whole school restorative justice. However, teachers can be the leaders. I do believe that individual teachers can have their own practice 
with circles, but they will be rugged individualists, as I mentioned before. The journey. Why embark on this journey? Circles are a gathering. When you are holding a circle for one purpose, other issues, problems, and awakenings happen and need to be addressed. Better to address them in the circle. Circles may not be the panacea for curing all ills in the classroom, but can be used for a variety of purposes. Think of those purposes, and we'll get to those later. Most, if not all, teachers in our schools will encounter disciplinary issues in the classroom. If a classroom culture is comprised of students who are resistant to traditional discipline, methods such as restorative justice, restorative practices, and the teaching of social-emotional learning can help pave the way. Honestly, does it hurt to hold a check-in, a discussion in a circle, to build relationships and community for 15 to 30 minutes a day? When you think about it, that's not a long time. The circle is by invitation, not coercion. Circle is by invitation, not coercion. While this may seem counter to what we know as educators, there is positive energy that begins with teacher modeling. The circle is a place to observe, think, share, explore, and just be. Imagine a place where students can just be. Let it begin with me. The question then becomes, if I am working in a culture that I deem negative, what can I do about it? Let it begin with me. That's a saying from the Al-Anon family group. If I want to change the culture in my school, I can start with myself. What you're getting into. Circles are a way to get to know your students, to build community, and to create peer-to-peer relationships. Circles are powerful once students begin to open up. And you won't know that till you try. Circles can be used for students of any age, from preschool to adults. The purpose of circle keeping is expansive. There are simple ways to start, however training is necessary. Tips. Create a study group. There's a free link to get you started. Kay Pranis has a handbook. It's called the Circle Keeper's Handbook. And you can find it at many, many links. Just Google it. Invest in a circle manual, as I stated before. Circle Forward is a good one. I've got the Kindle version. That way I kept the cost down. Get started. Have the conversation with your stakeholders. Get training or bring in a consultant. Take advantage of good resources. Identify a group to pilot this program first. Select a time of day to hold the circle talk with students and get them interested in circle and I can link a few videos. A talking piece is necessary so when you have your circle you're going to have a talking piece, a special symbolic piece that helps people learn to talk one person at a time. It creates a listening space. The talking piece balances the circle and gets the participants who don't normally talk to speak. Participants can help select a special talking piece. That way they have a a stake in the process. You can use multiple talking pieces. Usually uh, you put a mat in the center of the circle, a pretty mat, and you put 
the talking piece on there and all the other ritualistic objects that you want to use in your circle. Model the use of the talking piece. Model the listening part. Engage students in a couple of practice rounds. They'll need to practice. We never force students or participants to speak. They may pass. I've often been asked what happens if somebody just keeps on refusing. The circle should be a contagious activity. It shouldn't be something that is forced. And sooner or later, students will want to join the circle. Next, a more advanced type of thing happens in the circle. You're going to set your values together. The group will decide through many rounds some of the values and purposes of the group. They will decide on how they would like each other to be treated, starting first with simple ideas such as talking to each other with respect, talking one person at a time, not interrupting, and so on. Each individual can speak about the values in the round. Each individual is encouraged to speak from the heart, listen well, and next you would want to talk about simple ground rules. Values are the deeper purpose, while ground rules are the practical uh, way to keep the values uh, glued together. Discussions do not always mean that group members agree with one another, but they learn to speak respectively, listen with empathy, and learn about group consensus. Teachers will have to read up on consensus and practice what true consensus means, which doesn't mean taking a vote. It means agreement. All of this takes time and patience. And you can read more about consensus in some of the manuals that are recommended. And I'm going to add a few more things and then I will wrap it up because this is very long and we're getting into some advanced practices. The teacher or later on some of the, the students will be known as circle keepers. The keeper has a lot of responsibility in that the keeper prepares for the circle. Students and participants always grow from talking about issues and problems that may arise in the circle and later on the keeper will learn how through practice to facilitate these conversations. Although all members of the circle are equal, the keeper has to play a key role in guiding the conversation. The keeper sometimes has to steer the conversation or make critical calls within the group. Like all human beings, there's going to be some times that things don't, um, things get heated, things don't go well, the circle doesn't go as planned, and the keeper has to be ready to deal with those circumstances. There's planning involved in circle keeping, and we can get into this in another uh, podcast, but there's planning even around impromptu conversations in circles. What the, the keeper must do is to build relationships. So they'll need to do a check-in to simply find out how everybody's feeling. And after a few rounds of relationship building, there's some other ways to make people feel comfortable, which is to break the ice, to get engaged in 
icebreakers and there's a million of them out there it's really wise to spend more time building relationships in a circle than uh, the more advanced practices and we can get to those later on but the primary um, purpose of the first few circles that a teacher runs is to build those relationships and in the circle rituals and I'll just go through this and then I'll wrap it up the opening would start with a greeting where the circle keeper introduces themselves or if everybody knows them they say hello a check-in as I mentioned before you're going around and you're checking in to find out how everybody's feeling creating a caring community again using the talking piece the rounds happen where you're talking about the values, the agreements, and the norms coming to a consensus. You might do an icebreaker before that or after that, depending on your circle or your style. Then there's the meat of the circle, or the activity or the dialogue or the conflict focus, if it's a conflict circle. And then circles always end with a closing to make sure that everybody speaks and that all members have gotten the word in that they want to say. And in, in more advanced practices, you'd process with either the group or part of the group. So I just want to say that thank you very much for letting me talk a little more about the depth of circle practices, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I will add a few more links to my um, show notes. Thank you very much, Cultivating Classroom Management.